It's been such a blessing to walk through the Psalms at this time of real challenge and crisis. The Psalms express people's journeys through many years, many situations, many trials. And through joining with them, experiencing their triumphs, their sorrows and despairs, but finding God in them, we've also been able to be inspired and encouraged and uplifted in many ways. Been surprised at times to see the beauty of the Psalms, to see how engaging they can be. It's almost as if the Psalm gets into you as you read and meditate on it, becomes a friend on the journey. Just want to go through Psalm 19 with you, which is quite a familiar psalm, but when you begin to lift the lid on it, as it were, you, f- you feel there's so much more that it has to tell you. The psalm seems to be in three sections. One section looks at God speaking through the glory of creation. The second section looks at God speaking through his word. And the final section is my response to that. How do I speak? And it ends with a really deep and heartfelt prayer. So I'm going to read those three sections. The first section, one to six, about the heavens declaring the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament show his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their measuring line has gone through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end. There's nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength, and my Redeemer. C.S. Lewis in the book of Psalms said about Psalm 19, 
I take this to be the greatest poem in the Samta and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. He goes on to say, most readers will remember its structure, six verses about nature, five about the law, and four a personal prayer. Then he says the actual words supply no logical connection between the first and second movements. It's often the case, isn't it, that you look at the psalm and wonder how it fits together. And indeed, Psalm 19 seems to be that, a wonderful section on the glory of God in creation, and then a wonderful section about the law of God. But how do those two fit together? Lewis goes on to say this, I doubt if the ancient poet thought like that. I think he felt effortlessly and without reflecting on it so close a connection. Indeed, for his imagination, such an identity identity between his first theme and his second that he passed from one to the other without realising that he had made any transition. And that's what I've been looking for in the Psalms, how the whole Psalm is joined together and how its message comes across. So as I said, Psalm 19 is in these three sections and we're going to look at each section and then it's the whole. Section 1, as I said, is the revelation of God in creation. It's the speech of God through creation. The second section is the revelation of the Lord, the covenant-keeping God in his word. It's the speech or word of God directly from his mouth. And finally, my response to this, my prayer, and at the end a very personal prayer about my speech, my witness contemplative prayer which we have been discussing is so valuable at this time. When the creation speaks, it speaks day to day and night to night, all the time. The whole world hears its voice, a glorious and pleasing testimony. And when the word of God speaks, it speaks continually. It provides a perfect testimony. When I speak, through actions and words. What is it like? Is it consistent? Is it continually a testimony? But my prayer is, let it be. Let the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. So let's look at a little more detail at the first section The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows forth his handiwork. Day into day utters speech. It literally means pours out speech. And night unto night reveals knowledge. And then it says, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. But in the Hebrew, the word there is and where is not there. So it's literally saying no speech, no language, their voice is not heard. So the creation speaks without words and its words reach to the whole world like a measuring line that goes out that is telling everybody something but it's saying it in a way that is not spoken. The ancient man or woman in the Middle East and even today where there's no light pollution could look at the sky and see multitudes 
of stars and the moon shining brightly. They, maybe to their advantage, had no access to screens to distract them, and they could see that the sky, both in the day but particularly in the night, poured forth speech. It told them something incredible about the invisible creator. Then he goes on to talk about the sun, that he has set a tent or a tabernacle for the sun in the heavens. And the sun is like this bridegroom coming out of his chamber, this full of vigour person who's displaying uh, himself in a way um, like a strong man running its race. He's rejoicing, he's, he's full of life. He's coming from one end of the heaven and completing his circuit to the other. And there's nothing hidden from its heat. C.S. Lewis says these words. First he thinks of the sky, how day after day the pageantry we see there shows us the splendour of its creator. Then he thinks of the sun, the bridal joyousness of its rising, the unimaginable speed of its daily voyage from east to west. Finally of its heat, not of course the mild heat of our climate, but the cloudless, blinding, tyrannous rays hammering the hills, searching every cranny. The key phrase on which the whole poem depends is there's nothing hidden from the heat thereof. It pierces everywhere with its strong, clean ardour. Listening to this from somewhere like the UK, you you won't recognise this description of the sun. This is why we talk about the weather so much, because it's so variable from one day to the next. But in the Middle East, there was a consistency, a continualness of, of the sun's uh, impact day after day and of the beauty of the stars night after night, declaring the glory of God. So what is it that the heavens declare? And how do we understand God through the heavens and the stars? Paul in Romans one twenty says that since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by things that are made. His eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. When I asked people what the heavens declared, they said that they declared God's vastness, his hugeness, his indescribability, um, his creativity, his endlessness, his eternity, his sustaining power, his, his mightiness, his eternal power, as Paul says, the fact that he's invisible but creative. And the response to that is what? It's awe and wonder, it's amazement, it's humility that, that God so, should be so vast and, and yet see us. It brings us to that place of recognition of, of the power and the might of God. And there's nothing hidden from the heat of the sun. Without a voice, the heavens speak. And we've been thinking what they say. 
And what is our response? It's a response of awe and wonder at the majesty and the glory of God. Then the psalmist turns to consider the other clear voice of God, which is the word of God. And this is the central access of the psalm. He describes how the word of God comes and what it does and its effect. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The command of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The Hebrew word for law is Torah. It's his instruction, his teaching, his counsel, his will. And these are revealed. Often in the New Testament, law is kind of more focused on the law of Moses, the ceremonial law, the covenant law that he made on Mount Sinai, both religious and social. And that has some negative connotations, although Paul tells us that it's spiritual and holy and righteous. It's that law that has condemned us and and, and shown us that that we're in sin. But there's no negative connotation here about the law of the Lord. It's all of the spoken revelation of God through his prophets from Genesis on. It's the revelation of who God is. Standing, Standing where we are, it includes the revelation of who God is as seen in the person and the work of Christ. Hebrews 1, 1 tells us that in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in many ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. So the Torah of God, the law of God, is perfect, it's blameless. It converts, that is, it restores the soul. His testimony is sure. It's steadfast, it It's so reliable, it makes wise the simple that rest and trust in it. The precepts, the teaching, the understanding of the Lord are right, and an understanding of those rejoices the heart. And his commandments are are, are pure, they don't come from any mixed motivation. They are to keep us and to set us free, and they enlighten our eyes and these words are described as the fear or the reverence of God and and they're clean and that endures forever and the judgments of the Lord, they're always true and they're righteous altogether. And the psalmist says that they're more to be desired than gold than much fine gold, sweeter than the honey and the honeycomb. So in his way as he gets us to think about it, the psalmist wants us to see that even though the heavens declare the glory of God and they're awesome and they're wonderful, it's the revelation of who God is through his revealed word which has the power to change our lives. We can't get to know God relationally through the creation. We can just stand in awe at his wonder. But through the revealed word of God, we can walk with him We can know him. We can see him. We can be made wise. We can have a soul that's restored. We can have eyes that are opened. And that is why his word, his Torah, 
contained in his testimonies and his statutes and his commandments are so precious. And if you think of it, the most valuable thing that the world and creation can bring forth is gold. That throughout the generations has been the most valuable commodity. And yet his commands, his Torah, his law, they are to be desired more than gold, more than fine gold, which is prepared or presented gold. And the sweetest thing that maybe the earth can bring forth is, is honey, and even the honey from the honeycomb, the sweetest of the sweet. And yet God's revealed word is sweeter than the honeycomb. So the heavens declare generally to all the world the glory of God, the majesty of God. But the word, his revealed will, specifically reveals to me a covenant loving God. And what may not be obvious from a first reading of the psalm is that the first section refers to God once and uses the word El, which is a more of a generic name for God that all the nations might have used uh, to refer to their God or their gods. But when he gets to the, the, the law, the Torah of the Lord, he begins to use the word Yahweh, the covenant-keeping, self-revealed God who is personal with his people. And then in true biblical style, he uses the name Yahweh seven times. There is only one God and the heavens declare his glory. But they don't reveal his person, what he is fully like. And the switch from El to Yahweh is profound. The Torah, the law, is not the Torah of El, but it's the Torah of Yahweh, the personal name of the covenant-keeping God who revealed himself to Moses as the covenant-keeping God who would redeem, who would show us his name, who would tell us what he was like, would reveal his character. Revelation which is perfect, blameless, it converts, it restores, it heals, it brings us into relationship. And look at the response to the one who reveals himself through the Torah. It's a cleansing that takes place. And as nothing is hidden from the heat of the sun in creation, then the word of God seeks out, doesn't it? And it divides and it separates. And the psalmist goes to this prayer, who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Keep your servant back from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. So the, the law of the Lord, it warns us. It, 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 it warns us um, against the hidden and the presumptuous sins, but it also rewards us because as we walk in the light of his law, we have great blessing. We have great uh, relationships both with God and with others and God brings life into our lives so bringing this together section one is the witness of creation section two is the witness of the word and then the final section is is my witness flaws as it is by secret faults and presumption sins and he prays cleanse me from my hidden faults keep me back from presumptuous sins but let my speech let what comes from me, my witness, 
the words of my mouth, the external expression, and the meditation of my heart, the internal expression, let it be acceptable. Lord, even as the heavens declare your glory, even as your Torah, your word, uh, brings life and, and, and gives guidance and is a light to our paths and a light to our feet, O oh Lord, may my heart, the words of my mouth, and the meditation of my heart. Let it be pleasing. Let it be acceptable in your sight. And Lord, I cannot do this, but by your strength, O Yahweh, O Lord, my strength, my rock, and my redeemer, the one that came to bring me out and to bring me in. So God, that's our prayer, that even as the creation witnesses to your glory and your word is, is such a revelation to your truth, May that be reflected back in my life. And may the words of my mouth, Lord, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock, my strength, and my redeemer. Amen.